Hi, everyone. My name is Sumbul Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon. And we are two Cambridge City Counselors. And this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Well, welcome to this week's podcast. We have a few fun things to talk about. And if you've been following our podcast, uh, you know, you'll know that I've been suffering from a broken ankle. Uh, You never talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I talk about it too much. (laughs) Alana is always like, when are you out of those crutches? (laughs) So, yeah, I fell March 16th and um, I could give you a day day by day, but I won't. Uh, But I just um, finished PT right before this and I did some walking without crutches. So I'm walking in a boot and I just showed Alana. It was very exciting. I was it was like a whole new day. I can I I really can't even remember what it was like when you used to be able to walk. I yeah, I've been dreaming about walking <laughs> and so I'm I hope uh, I keep progressing. I mean, so how long do they think that you're until you're like fully on your feet? It's hard to say. I mean, I, my next appointment is June 4th with the ortho and we'll see how the x-rays look, but I think, you know, it, it's by June 16th it's going to be like 3 months, so that's 12 weeks. So I think my doctor was hoping that I'd be walking by mid-June. So. Okay. Well, that's coming right up. It's coming up, you know. So let's hope I can keep – I'm going to still keep one crutch because the roads, as you've said, are tr- atrocious. Yo, the sidewalks are awful. But you should also keep that crutch to keep people away, you know, like, and, <laughs> oh, like, meetings yeah. and, you know. It's like you could be, like, a little, like – a weapon definitely. definitely stay away from me stay i'm, I'm dangerous me. i have this one crutch <laughs> who knows what i might do yes yes so anyway that's my news of the week what about you i you know i just don't have any we've had such a busy week um i feel like it's been a whirlwind we've had a million events to go to some really great ones that we're going to talk to you guys about today uh so the first one was tuesday night we got to go see um a panel the author of The Color of Law. So Richard Rothstein, who wrote The Color of Law, which is, um, I'll just read, it's a forgotten history of how our government segregated America. So it's a whole book about um, government policies that actually help to segregate neighborhoods, cities, towns, um, and that none of it happened by accident. It was actually governmental policy. And this book was fascinating. Uh, and the, the panel and his talk was really incredible, I thought. Yeah, a uh, you know a, a big part of his talk in the beginning was about the history of public housing, <clears throat> and the fact that you know the public housing of today is different from the uh, intention of public housing. It was very much for middle class individuals, working class individuals who are coming back um, from the from World War Two uh, and so forth. So you know the the federal government and i forget which president it was i should know this i actually wrote a like 30 page paper in law school about the history of public housing i believe it yeah so there is a huge history and you know like alana said everything that's come uh and all the segregation that exists is because of the very much intentional federal policies that kept people of color from owning their homes from even you know applying for mortgages um, you know, redlining, you know, literally zoning racial covenants in zoning that said, you know, black individuals could not, um, you know, buy property and live in particular areas. Yeah. One of the things that I didn't know about public housing was this, that it, that was the, the origin and the genesis of it and how rigorous the actual um, application process was. You They, they did ho- site visit, home visits to make sure that you were, you know, 
they were clean and your apart you know your home was well taken mm-hmm. care of your kids were well taken care of they really wanted this to be something where um people could come and take an an opportunity to live in public housing but it was really for middle income um but it's evolved into into what it is today but in between there there were some really deliberate policies about creating segregated um public housing buildings right so newtown court and washington elms that are here in cambridge i had i recently discovered that one was for whites and one was for african-americans which is the most shameful thing that i think i've ever heard in my life and the fact that it is a forgotten history right like we why aren't we talking about this all the time yeah and he mentioned in our history books you know, and I remember, I, I, you know, being a Sierra student and taking AP history, U.S. history, and I don't think any of this was covered. No, and in fact, that was his biggest takeaway. Sort of at the at the end, he they asked all of the panelists, you know, what what is one thing that you would do that you want us to go out into our communities and do today? And um, the authors was make sure that history is taught properly, um, because the only way that you can create new public policy around writing these wrongs is understanding that we didn't get here by accident. And so we can't not get here, not by accident. Yeah. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, I think <laughs> you, you know, no, no, I get what you just said. He kept yeah. saying we're, we, we, we didn't get here by accident. So it, an accident isn't going to take us out of this exactly. place. So we have to be intentional and to be intentional. We have to really be intentional about teaching our high school students how we got here and how we can get out. Yeah, and you know there were then panelists. There's a how many panelists? Like five panelists, who uh, th- were asked. well. One of them was the moderator. So there was three panelists, yes. right? So there was um, Crystal Cornegay, who was the executive director of Mass Housing, um, Dr. Atia Martin, um, and she's at Northeastern University, and she's the uh, CEO of All Aces Incorporated. And um, David Harris, who I really loved. I actually walked out with him, and we had, like, a real heart-to-heart. Um, he's the managing director of the Charles Hamilton Houston Institute for Race, Race and Justice at the Harvard Law School. Um, and he served as the founding executive director of the Fair Housing Center of Greater Boston. So these were, like, fabulous. They did a re- ABC did a really good job putting on this event. I was very impressed. And then Dante Ramos, who works for the Boston Globe, was the moderator. Yeah, and there was some disagreement between panelists and the author <laughs> there was there were a lot of disagreements mm-hmm. it got a little uncomfortable it did you know and i think this is for me personally i i want i still haven't done this but i wanted to do a google search of like all the authors who are black who've written about mm. this history mm-hmm. um and i think hear it from their eyes and their kind of research nothing against the author right richard um but i think it would I think it'd be a different conversation. Uh, some of the panelists talked about how they felt that it wasn't necessarily about segregation. It was about racism mm-hmm. that exists yeah. in everyday society that really impedes everything else. Um, yeah, it was a lot of, it, you know, it gave me a lot of things to think about. Yeah, and it was interesting hearing all three of the panelists who were African-American say over and over, like, this... The, this is about racism, and if we don't talk about racism, then we can't get to this utop- utopia place that you're talking about we need to get to, which is the undoing of it, right? Right. We can't undo it until we fully comprehend and understand that this is about racism. They were governmental policies b- based on racism. And so if we aren't doing that 
cultural competency journey together and really understanding, then we are not going to get to a place where we can undo this. And one of the things I forgot to tell you is that I had seen, um, I think, the, the woman, uh, Dr. Atiyah. Atiyah at a different conference, and she did this uh, presentation on diversity. And she's the ta- big takeaway from that was she was like, okay, to you know the peop- the 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 white individuals in the room, I want you to look around you and see who you're friends with, and be really, you know, make an effort to 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 meet and be friends with people of color, because there's a there's a big issue that exists in our society where we do really have a lot of segregation and we don't have, and because of segregation, you've, people have not really, people are on their, in their silos. Mm -hmm. And I think it is really important to reflect on that, who your community is and always make a conscious effort to surround yourself with diverse perspectives, not just color of your skin, but you know, people who, you know, may have a disability, people who, Mm -hmm you know, or LGBTQT uh, and so forth. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons from this talk. Uh, I think they said a lot of other important things, one of which um, I f- she said something like, you know, everyone wants to move uh, black people. Yes, um, Crystal Cornegay right. was saying that, that, um, you know, that that's the, the feeling is that, you know, you have to move somewhere white to have a good life right like so we want to create more housing in places like newton and brookline and you know places that are traditionally white and like she was her big thing was like why can't we just invest in the areas where african americans live why can't we invest in the schools and make them great why can't we make this investment in places where um people live and this this idea of this utopia like the only place the only way you can be happy in a community is to to live somewhere that's white right right i people were being super real and i that's the thing that I really loved about the panel and that we all need to be uncomfortable right as a white person I need to consistently live in an uncomfortable place on my journey because if I am not making steps every day on this cultural competency journey journal journal journey (laughs) (laughs) um I'm I'm doing a disservice not only to my community members my constituents but my family myself like surrounding yourself and making sure you are making those partnerships and friendships with people of color who who have a different lens and who are going to share their stories that's so important and I have to say that people white people who feel like being called a racist is a bad thing we have to that has to end everyone is racist everyone is biased everyone has things and we all need to be like really inwardly looking at those things and it's ugly work it's not and it and it can't be it can't be the people of color in our lives helping us with that work right right yeah i think preach i yeah i mean <laughs> like i said it's i i had listened to a podcast um actually about um CRLS, which I don't know if you heard, it was on WBUR. I, I have that on my list to do. Yeah, it's really powerful. It will make you a little bit angry, maybe a lot. I don't mm. know. Um, but one of the, I have to give a really big shout out to Dr. Kim Parker, who was working at CRLS up until last year, and she left. Um, yeah, because she didn't feel supported as an African American teacher, and um, I will credit her with this idea of this cultural competency journey that I cannot stop thinking about that phrase. It's really important. What she said was everyone is on their own journey. Yeah. Um, but it's not, 
the job of people of color to to help like to be the people fueling them forward people need to be looking inward and people really need to understand where they are and 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 be doing that really hard work yeah and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of great books on this topic too i um i had a friend in college one of my best friends who didn't really know about any of this history so Mm -hmm. i said okay i want to give you this book yeah uh and it's from it's authored by tim wise who talks a lot about race he's a white guy but he does does, of course he does a lot about (laughs) how he really call you know says this is as white people what we need to do Mm -hmm. and what we the forgotten history we need to learn and my friend who's one of my best friends her i'm in her wedding in august she was like you know she went to sidwell school Mm -hmm. which in dc very privileged um but also that's where the obamas went exactly Uh yeah yeah so and you know both her parents are surgeons and I could go on just, you know, very, you know, privileged person who I love, but really didn't get that history and didn't recognize that privilege. And just uh, I gave her this book. We talked about it and she she thanked me profusely. She was like, thank you for just telling me about this, because I just never thought about, you know, the possessive investment in like whiteness that our country has you know and it's a privilege to actually not have to worry about it and not have to know about it and right uh, yeah I think there's lots of books maybe they're by white people maybe that makes it more palatable for people or yeah. like, you know it's easier for people to understand because um it's coming from your own affinity group but yeah there's definitely I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and and reading a lot of blogs um to just try to I guess make sure I'm still on my journey yeah um you know one of the things we were talking about especially when it has to do with housing is um and Richard brought this up the other night the the biggest way that you can make you can create wealth in this country is by owning property yeah and by making sure that people of color were not able to buy property we have just ensured that they have not been able to advance in the middle class and and kind of moving up that ladder and um you know, I think he was even saying, and you know, plenty of people do this, and I think, th- th- I think we'll probably do it. I own my own house. The the reason why their kids were able to go to college is because they were able to pull money out of the, the right. equity that they have in their house. So if you even like all of these things, it's not just owning your house and being able to pass it on or or make sure that the next generation is cared for. It's like the educational op- opportunities of your kids. It's like generations and generations of people that are just stymied because they were not allowed to buy a house after World War Two. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's a lot for us to really be working on here. But I, and even our city's programs, like we just discussed, you yeah. know, we have homeownership programs, and while that's great, and we, you know, many cities don't have that, our homeownership programs actually have deed restrictions. So uh, what that means is you can't build equity, mm-hmm. and then secondly, you can't pass your home down. So it sits in that program you know going because the whole goal is we're giving people an opportunity to not rent and instead own their homes but there's a lot of issues i have with that program that have come up where residents especially people of color um who have asked hey why does why is it like that you know why can't we just own our home and build equity and then pass it down and yeah you know i can see the other point of you know we have to make sure you know, people have, we have that stock, but I think it also goes back to building more 
afford affordable home ownership units. Yeah, one of the thing that that um, Atia said was, you know, we really need to be thinking about middle income housing, and it sh- it has to be home ownership, yeah, not middle income housing that's rental exactly. opportunities. Um, one of the other things that she said that I I can't stop thinking about is she kept talking about the perverse outcomes of the wealth gap and Mm -hmm. it's something that is kind of resonating with me and staying with me that there oftentimes we are working on the symptoms of the wealth gap many of us especially in the nonprofit world we're working on the symptoms right but where are those like where are those root causes and how do we get to the root causes so that we can really deal with the perverse outcomes yeah yeah no absolutely I think it's just there's so much work to be done isn't that overwhelming it's really I felt really overwhelmed um Tuesday night like I think I was like at the end you looked over at me and I was like there's just so much to do like there's so much to do and um I was glad that we went because there was a lot to think about and like I said that I liked the book but the panelists to me were like the superstars um, absolutely of of the evening um so if the if you're interested in reading this book it's called The Color of Law and it's by Richard Rothstein so pick it up at the library um have my copy here and i'll be returning it so it'll be available and if um you would like to read the book that i gave to my friend oh oh my god her friend her name's alana too i just <gasps> so <laughs> alana how did yeah. you just figure that out <laughs> like wait <laughs> i wanted to keep her confidence but she doesn't listen. <laughs> she's a doctor she doesn't listen she has no time to listen to this podcast but um the book is white like me oh and it's by tim wise he's a known as a anti-racism activist and writer so he talks a lot about that oh i'm gonna pick it up too because now now i need something else to read oh yeah for sure totally um so moving on we had a we had an event last night yeah another event which was a panel but it was a little bit different it was um held at the cambridge public library uh called women elected in cambridge and it was myself and sambal uh the vice mayor and denise simmons talking about what it was like to be a woman elected in Cambridge. And it was an interesting evening. Yeah, I'm glad it happened. You know, thank you to the library. Yeah, for oh my God. And Maria, I just, the the director of the library is just so, she's wonderful. She's so great. Her kids were so cute. They're so cute. And she always has like, she was wearing something that I wish I was wearing. She's so fashionable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so we, we uh, you know, it was moderated by your friend. Oh, my friend and neighbor, Pam. Enders? Pam or? Enders, yep. She's on the Women's Commission. Yeah, I remember knocking at her door. Oh, I had her, enough. I think I had her vote. Oh, you definitely <laughs> did. And I was like, "Can I get her second vote? <laughs> Number two? Yeah, I'm I pretty do sure she that. probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that though. Yeah, we um we talked a lot about different things, and uh, one of which was pay equity. Yes, we talked about pay equity, and it was interesting to hear Councillor Simmons talk about all of her work uh, thus far and how we've advanced um in in advance of the July 1st pay equity law. And so you had a lot to say, really, because you're a lawyer. <laughs> you knew a lot about it. But so what, there were three things that you talked about you were, that you think will make a really big difference with this law. And so maybe just... Yeah, sure. Her. So for those who are interested, the, uh, the new law goes into effect July 1st. And it does a few things. And most notably, it makes it illegal for an employer to ask your salary before they make a job offer. Which, and I, I appreciated you saying that last night because I think most people don't think about this, but women are underpaid. Grossly. Grossly. So if you continue to go to your next job with your grossly underpaid salary and say that that's what you make, you're just perpetuating this whole grossly underpayment, 
Right. So that's that's the really important part of this law. Yeah. And employers, you know, they have a you you know, you wouldn't even know that be asking you. And then it, I think they do it pretty kind strategically. Slyly, slyly. Yeah. yeah. So totally. this this will make it illegal. So I think the more we educate um, women on this, mm-hmm. the, the better and everyone. So the second thing it also does is right now in many workplaces, you know, you can be prohibited against talking about your salary. Um and, you know, sometimes like you and I would be in the like we would be in the break room and I'd be like, hey, yeah, like you're how a guy. Much, yeah, and I'm exactly. like, how much money do you make? And you say like 110. I'm like, oh, I only make 70. And then if I go to HR, I actually get in trouble. Yes. For talking about how much money I make. Yes. OK. And so now employers cannot retaliate against you. So that's big, you know. Um, so that's happening. And the third thing that I'm really happy about is uh, the fact that now instead of bringing like a discrimination claim through MGAD, which is Massachusetts against uh, Massachusetts commission against discrimination, you can do it. You have a private cause of action. So you don't have to go through MGAD, which is kind of, it just is a different process. And so this really shows that how important now to the state it is that we can um, have it that, uh, you know, you, you you have a, a a cause of action that you can pursue independently. Yeah. So okay. So that comes into effect July first. I think that's going to be big. But one of the things we talked about last night is that yeah, there's the gender gap between men and women. But for women of color, it's actually even lower. So we say like every women women make seventy cent seven, seventy seven cents on every dollar, and for co- pe- women of color, it's much lower. Exactly. Yeah. So. there's just so much work to be done on that respect with pay equity and um so concertism has talked a little bit about the dashboard yeah i think and that's going to be important there was a question about like what about um jobs that are predominantly held by women that are already you know they're they're like social workers right yeah so they're going to be like terribly paid right because there's just there's only women in those positions and so what how, how do we get the the gap between um, what they're being paid now and what they should be paying. Exactly. Yep. So, um, yeah, pay equity was a big one. I was glad that that came up. Um, there were some other interesting questions that got asked last night. What were you, like, what? Would like our male mentors. Oh, I know. That was. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I w- yeah. It was, I think. That was a tough question. It was. It was kind of like, it we were, like, it was going along and it was kind of like, we were being a little we real. Stumped. And then it was like, so who are your male mentors? And we were all like. Um. <laughs> yeah so clearly yeah that was that was an okay question what else um came up it, we talked a little bit about oh how do like women lead differently oh yeah and what does that really mean and what does that um how does that sort of manifest for us and um there were some interesting answers i thought it was it was actually nice to be up there with you guys and hearing yeah. everyone's thoughts um, but one of the things that the vice mayor said was, um, you know, we really all do our homework and we come prepared. Definitely. And um, that was, I think the, the audience was a little surprised. Yeah. Taken aback by some of the, there were some, I, there were some honest moments. I had some too, like somebody, one of the questions was, you know, what inspired you to run or, or do you ever feel self-conscious? There was yeah. some question like, do you ever have self-doubt? And we're all like, I mean, like every day. Um, but you know, one of the things I said was I, I had been asked to run a bunch of different times and I, you know, really never felt like I was smart enough. And when I said that last night, 
I think there were so many women that were like, you know, but I, you know, I think so many of us feel like that, that we're not, we're not qualified. We're not smart enough to do a job. I mean, I think there's some statistic about men getting up and just running. Well, getting up and just running, but also, you know, feeling like, um, they would go for a job where they felt like they had 20% of, of the things that they needed to actually have to get the job and women need to have like 80 to 85% of the the qualifications. So, um, that, you know, that really is true and it manifests itself, especially for women who are running because it's so public. Like you aren't just going for a job interview and bombing in front of, you know, potentially three to five people as an interview panel. Like you're, you're out there, like putting yourself out there in front of an entire city and you could be bombing. Um, so that, like to me that was uh that was a scary thing that we did yeah and i think another point that counselor simmons made was just about the discouragement um i think i i experienced that when i was running people were like the first thing they would say to me oh wow yeah well you're young you know don't worry if you don't win this time god i got that all the time um and so that was very frustrating but prove them people wrong (laughs) i know so it was funny because Councillor Simmons was saying last night that, you know, his, historically here in Cambridge, you didn't run for city council unless you had already been on the school committee. And so the fact that I didn't run for school committee and come from school committee, there were so many people when I knocked on their door, they were like, well, why aren't you running for school committee? And it took me a really long time to figure out that it wasn't just because I was a woman and I should be running for school committee and not city council, I, you know, but that that was typically the launching pad, right? Like, because you would be on school committee and then you would get a base and then then there would be an opening and you wouldn't displace somebody like you would take your shot um but you know with with three openings like you said last night like anything could have happened and um i, I think i did have a lot of people say to me like don't worry if you don't run this if you don't win this time you should run again and i'd be like it's the the election hasn't even happened can right. we have that conversation like after <laughs> after like, oh i was just like get out of my face people oh <laughs> Anyway, so that was last night. Um, so it's been a busy week. We also have something fun we're doing tonight. Tonight, it's Thursday. Um, we are taking a bunch of people to go see the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. Yeah, we got a we bought a block of tickets, about twenty five tickets. Twenty five tickets, and uh, we're bringing some some ladies with us. Yeah, a lot of all women. All women. I know yeah. my son is coming, but he doesn't count. I forgive him. <laughs> um, I wish Jasper could come, but she's I know. young. She's so young. She, I'm, I'm still on the fence about that. It's at seven. Right? Yeah, she could probably still come. She was so cute last night, sitting in the front row. So cute. She was so excited to be there and like watching her mom like up on stage. And she, she was really funny. I got home last night and she, she was wanted to talk all about it. Oh, she wanted to tell like, who said this and why did they say that? And she's very invested. She's very involved. She's so sweet. <laughs> well, maybe bring her tonight. I might. Um, but yeah, we're, um, I'm excited because I saw it. I know. Which I know. I'm sorry. Um, but I, it was so empowering and I think it'll be fun to bring a bunch of people who work for the city and, and some of our friends and just get together and just have this like big empowering girl night. Um, cause she's such a badass. Oh, she's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, can you, so you'll see tonight, but her, her granddaughter is in the movie yeah. a few times and she just graduated from law school. And so it's just so funny to see her being like, oh my God, Bubby, 
<laughs> you can't just fall asleep at the State of the Union. Like all of my friends are tweeting at me that my my grandma is falling asleep, and she's Bader Ginsburg's like, listen. We can't get up during that thing. Like, we just sit there. Everyone else is bobbing <laughs> up and down like a cork. And, you know, it's, I was tired. That's so funny. I can't <laughs> wait to see it. I'm excited. That's going to be good. We'll talk about it next week. But um, it is playing at the Kendall Square Theater. Um, and Memorial Day is coming up. So there'll be plenty of opportunities for people to go see it. I can't, I, I really can't um, say m- more about the movie. It was, she's, it's a love story. It's about the law there's something for everybody it's gonna be good it's gonna be good um and then also it's memorial day weekend yes weekend so they're um on monday there is the memorial day event um and i'm just trying to find it um there's a there's a parade parade, yeah it starts i think on mont auburn all the way kind of near belmont almost so it is monday may 28th and so it starts at actually the Cambridge Common. Oh, my bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it starts at 9.30 a.m. There's a parade on um, that starts at the Cambridge Common. It proceeds through Harbor Square, up Mount Auburn Street to Coolidge Avenue, and concludes at the Cambridge Cemetery. And um, at 11, there'll be an observance. And at 12.15, there'll be an observance at the Weeks Bridge in Charles River. Um, and then whatever a collation is... Mm. Is going to be happening at 1230 um, at the VFW Mount Auburn Post, uh, 688 here on Avenue. Yeah, so that's um, that's the VFW on here on across from the golf course uh, underneath, like, the Russell Youth Center. So I hope everyone has a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. It's the official kickoff to, like, almost summer, which I can't really even believe that that's mm. almost here. Um, the weather has been so nice out the past couple of days. I hope that it continues on for people into the weekend. And um, there's a lot of fun things to do this weekend. So I hope to see you all around. Yeah. We'll hopefully see you at the parade. See you at the parade. Have um, a great weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.